if you don't look at yourself as a clinician, no one else is going to. I could see looming clouds on the horizon, let's say, of what was going to happen as other disciplines became involved in this technology. I started looking for a different medical organizational model in which radiologists were recognized at the beginning as an integral part of this enterprise. The only way to maintain yourself in, in a competitive environment was to be able to have patients and be able to be an equal partner in healthcare delivery. The areas that have the most successful interventional radiology programs will be the ones that are led by clinical interventional radiologists. Welcome to the Sound of IR podcast. I'm Sabash Gudi. And I'm Steve Lazar. And we're your producers for this podcast. We hope to deliver impactful insight into the field while inspiring the next generation of interventional radiologists. This episode is the finale of our BIR Legends series, where you've heard from some of the founders of IR. I'm your host, Eric Cyphers, a third-year medical student and project lead for the Legends series. In this episode, Savash Goody and I had the honor of speaking with Dr. Barry Katzen about clinical VIR. Dr. Katzen was among the first handful of physicians began developing and refining interventional techniques. He's the founder of the Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute, program director for the ISET meeting, and a pioneer for the clinical practice of vascular and interventional radiology. Today, we are honored to welcome back Dr. Barry Katzen, a true VIR legend and founder of the Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Katzen. My pleasure. Happy to be with you this evening. So to start off, what does clinical IR mean to you? Uh, Why is it important and what are the benefits of this approach? Clinical IR means that the proceduralist, the interventional radiologist, is accepting the clinical responsibility that goes along with the procedure. And it can mean different things to different people, but I think that in this particular case, it means that we're not only doing the procedure, but accepting all of the clinical responsibility related to that procedure and the ma- and management of the patient's clinical problem as it relates to the procedure. It's, uh, it's really great to hear your perspective, Dr. Katzen. As students interested in IR, nowadays we always hear the phrase clinical IR, but it's crucial to really understand what that means and also what to look for in a training program. And one of those things is dedicated clinic time. That leads us to our next question. What were the barriers early on for starting a dedicated clinic within your group? Well, when I first started uh, as a sort of contemporary diagnostic radiologist at the time who was procedurally oriented, I had a fellowship, but um, I, I joined a traditional, after I left academics, I joined a traditional radiology group. And uh, they were more or less contemporaries, and I told them that time was changing and that there's this new field developing and that we were going to be changing the way we practice. And fortunately, I had some colleagues that were open-minded and um, pretty much said to me, listen, if, if you can develop the work and the volume and so on to keep you going full-time, that's fine with us. Um, from a practical point of view, uh, radiologists don't have a clinical office don't have a place to examine patients generally and don't have any of the the actual mechanical infrastructure necessary to perform clinical practice so in the beginning the the challenge was okay 
uh, I'm going to I'm going to be a clinical proceduralist, and how am I going to do that? I have to say that um, my inspiration came uh, really from studying in Europe, and Andreas Grunzig, who is the pioneer of balloon angioplasty, uh, was training around the same time and and developing around the same time, and he came as a background from uh, the angiology background, which is a European term. We don't really have that here in the United States. But basically, they were internists who were doing procedures. Um, and so they were seeing the patients, making all the clinical determinations, and then doing a variety of what were coming to be called interventional or endovascular procedures. And I said, you know, that's really the way it should be done, and that's what I want to do when I go back to the United States. And, and, and it started small, um, but there are a lot of barriers, as you said, uh, the first of which is not actually having a place to do the things that you want to do. Second is living in a diagnostic radiology group, which is geared to provide a different level of care, a different type of care in medicine. And the third is having your peers actually look at you as a clinician, uh, not as a radiologist. And those were all three challenges that I had to address early on. The other factor that's important in establishing oneself as a clinical interventional radiologist is how you look at yourself. It's not just how everybody else looks at you. We all have role models that we've seen in medicine of what a good clinician was, what a good internist and whatever specialty is. But if you don't look at yourself as a clinician, no one else is going to. And then of course you have to deliver on actually practicing like a clinician. Super inspirational to hear you kind of, you know, be the first along that line of duty and, and uh, navigating whether your fellow colleagues saw you as a clinician or not. You eventually, you worked on that and did that. Can you discuss the founding of Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute that was kind of, you know, the pinnacle of this clinical IR model? Um, founding of Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute was a result of about 15 years of the evolution of interventional radiology. When I started, IR didn't really exist as a specialty. Um, there were a variety of different approaches to what was going to become interventional radiology, but I was piece by piece uh, building the, the components of it. And um, as angioplasty was developed, don't forget angioplasty was uh, first described in 63, 64, never really widely accepted here in the United States until the 70s, which is when I was finishing my training, and I couldn't figure out why there were very few people in the United States doing peripheral angioplasty. Within Europe, there had been maybe 10,000 patients treated during that decade. And, um, you know, I came to find out and understand that. But um, as I became more successful in doing angioplasty before balloons and then subsequently with balloons, um, uh, I could see a um, looming clouds on the horizon, let's say, um, of what was going to happen as other disciplines became involved in this uh, technology, that there was going to be a collision between the people that are technically oriented, the radiologists at that point, and the people that are disease management doctors who are actually taking care of the patients. Um, not to mention the surgeons who at the point were, at that point were kind of leading vascular disease management in any way, in, in, in any event. So, um, I started looking for a different medical organizational model where radiologists would have a different position in the hierarchy 
of, of healthcare delivery than they did in a traditional way where the radiologist was in the reading room. And that's where the radiologist was and um, depended on somebody else to call them for a procedure or to do a procedure and things like that. So based on this collision, which I did not think radiologists could really survive in the end because there was no clinical IR, um, I look at it in two ways. One is that the only way to maintain yourself in, in a competitive environment was to be able to have patients and be able to be an equal partner in healthcare delivery. And the other part was that we had to create, I was interested in creating a different medical staff structure, a different um, organizational structure in which radiologists were recognized at the beginning as an integral part of this enterprise. Um, and in those early years, which were in the uh, early 80s, there was a big movement in the United States as this political turf problem was developing um, uh, on the formation of vascular centers. So there were other disciplines who could see the benefit of multiple disciplines working together. But in the end, they couldn't overcome, um, I guess, the human aspect of things which is everybody wants to run their own show, everybody wants to be whatever, whatever they want to be. And so um, I started thinking if we could develop a collaborative model in which everybody could benefit and the patient was at the center of this model and everybody was busy and engaged and non-threatened, um, then maybe uh, something good could come out of it. So um, that was during the Alexandria years when I was there working in a very traditional uh, radiology practice and looking to evolve into that. And so um, I began to put some of these things down in writing, but that's where the idea came from, uh, is that I could see this collision, these turf battles developing, and I felt the only way out for us as a discipline, not for me personally, I kind of felt for me, as long as I had patients in a clinical practice, you know, I'd compete. But for radiology and IR, that if we could identify a collaborative model from the get-go, we could avoid the siloism and the, the need to compete with every other discipline. So I began to talk to other institutions in the Washington, D.C. and Northern Virginia area about this new model. Uh, I talked to heart surgeons, cardiologists, some vascular surgeons, and there was a lot of interest in doing that. But at the time, I was working in a relatively small hospital, a relatively small group, and um, I didn't feel comfortable in just leaving my group to go to a competitive hospital or health system in the area uh, to do this. So I was, I was kind of um, stalled there in terms of executing the idea, even though they supported each of these institutions. Simultaneously, um, I was running a, a large meeting in DC and I was approached by people that, from what is now Baptist Health. And they were interested in establishing interventional radiology in their radiology group. You know, this was the time that groups were thinking about adding this service as just like you'd add nuclear or CT or something like that. And people were shopping for interventional radiologists, so to speak, uh, if they didn't have it. And I said, well, I'm not really interested in just going to another group, but I have these ideas. And if the group was willing to, um, um, you know, consider an unusual or different type of organizational structure and the hospital is interested, that maybe I would be interested myself. And uh, they came back to me and said they would be interested. So I put everything down in a three-page kind of white paper and, uh, and made that proposal to both the hospital and the radiology group. Uh, the hospital, the radiology group came back and said, yes, the hospital is interested. We're interested and we're willing to talk. 
And so um, that's why I left Washington, was to create the Miami Vascular Institute at the time, which would encompass cardiac and vascular work. And, and that's led, led ultimately to the founding of what's now Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute. It's so fun to look back on the history of clinical IR and the early days of MCVI. But I'm curious, Dr. Katzen, what do you think is the future of clinical IR? Well, um, I think it's the best way to practice medicine. Um, I think ultimately clinical IR will, will tend to become subspecialized IR. And uh, one thing that's changed over the last decade is uh, the development of interventional oncology or the role of interventional radiologists in the oncologic space. Um, but to me, that is no different than being in the vascular space or the biliary space or, or whatever. Um, the value of IR will always be from someone who has um, diagnostic skills not related to imaging, um, but being able to look at the patient as a whole, be able to make the decision of when procedures should and should not be done, and accepting the clinical responsibility to follow up those patients. So I think the areas that have the most successful interventional radiology programs will be the ones that are led by clinical interventional radiologists. Now, I, I guess, you know, we have to go back to what that means. Um, because of course, no one's going to do a procedure today without seeing the patient in advance. Um, but, um, but there's a lot more to clinical IR than just seeing a patient in a prep area and then going and doing a procedure on them and, and whatever. And uh, um, I think one of the fundamentals of clinical IR is that the individual responsible for doing the procedure has to be um, the individual who decides whether that procedure is necessary or not and everything that's involved in doing with it. Um, and I can tell you more about that because when we, when we founded Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute, that was a totally new concept for the medical staff. I'd love to hear about uh, how the medical staff adapted to that new concept and kind of the physician community around you as well. When I transitioned from a practice that I built in, in the DC area to starting in a new hospital where nobody knew anything about interventional radiology, um, I knew that there was going to be a lot of education necessary for the medical staff. Now, some of that education came with the leaders because I met the, uh, the executive committee. The hospital didn't want to do anything that could be disruptive without the medical executive committee approving it. And there was a whole lot of stories related to that. But ultimately, the medical executive committee, which represent the chairman of all the departments, said, yeah, we want this guy to come. We want him to try and develop something. We think it's a good idea. Um, and, but the first thing I did was I took away the ability to order anything. The only thing you could order was an IR consult. Now, that immediately drew some resistance because that was the first test of telling a doctor or referring doctor that, no, 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 you can't order, you know, a therapeutic procedure or an invasive procedure. Um, you can't order an appendectomy, you can't order a cardiac cath, and you can't order a pulmonary angiogram, all right? You know, even for diagnostic purposes, it's not the way it works. And so that meant a hell of a lot of work 
early on because I, I was by myself. I had to see every patient, do all that, obviously making that decision and following it up. But gradually, gradually we earn the respect. And even today, uh, that's the way it works. You order an IR consult. And uh, in the end, it made it a lot easier because people didn't really, the scope of IR was dramatically increasing. And people didn't actually know whether you could help them clinically or not. So they were actually uh, pretty enamored of being able to call an IR consult. And, and we'd frequently, people would say, I don't know whether you can help or not, but can you take a look at this patient? You know, and I remember that being a big step. The other one was uh, when the CEO could say interventional radiology. That was another milestone. <laughs> so <laughs> That's inspiring to hear the story of when, you know, IR procedures went from being orders to being consults. So going back a little bit, can you describe what it was like at that early time when radiologists began leaving the reading room and became real players on the hospital floor? Um, there was a lot of education involved for both the diagnostic radiologists and the clinicians that were on the floor, all right? And I use the term clinicians kind of pejoratively here because I consider myself and all of us to be clinicians to start with. But the referring physicians, however you want to put it. So some of it was symbolic. In, in those days, in, in many places, people would do an angiogram or do a procedure in a shirt and tie. All right, like they were sitting in the reading room and they'd run in and do a myelogram or do <clears throat> any kind of invasive procedure in a shirt and tie, throw some lead on and that was it. The other thing, uh, remember I talked about how you, look, how you perceive yourself is something that you have to define for other people, but also how other people perceive you is important. And in those days, um, radiologists and geographers would work in a procedure room by the, with themselves in a tech. And that was it. And the, because they didn't care for, they didn't worry about caring for the patient. Somebody else did it, you know. And, and so um, the first thing we did is said, look, you know, and, and one of the interesting benefits of integrating with cardiology in this particular situation is it elevated the standards for IR. Because to people in that space, it made absolute sense that you, you got to take care of patients the same way. If you have a nurse in the cath lab, you need a nurse there, somebody to take care of the patients. you got to be monitoring the patients, being able to monitor them physiologically and so on. So that change probably occurred pretty, pretty rapidly, and I was very fortunate to have a you know, strong group of uh, radiology partners who were very supportive from the get-go, or I wouldn't have moved, and, and they were very helpful. So um, there were tangible physical changes that had to be made in the environment, um, there were, in terms of the demands on the interventional radiologist for reading, you know, the assumption was if you're not doing anything, you should be reading something, all right? And um, they considered going to see a patient not doing anything, you know? <laughs> so, so in the beginning, in the beginning, you know? Um, so a lot of it, you know, talking about what the goal is, spending the time educating people, Trying to get them to understand where you're going and share that vision was a, an important part of what I was doing. Switching topics, Dr. Katzen, um, we first met in person a couple of months ago at the ISET conference in Miami, which was an incredible experience for IR trainees at all levels. Can you talk about your role in creating ISET and also what was the impact of this conference? Um, so ISIT is a derivative of uh, meetings that I started in the D.C. area. And as it became apparent how important this technology and the procedures we were developing are, 
as an alternative to surgery. I, I didn't feel we had the time to be able to train residents and take a 10-year path to be able to get everybody trained. And I felt that the most important immediate thing was to get people who had the skills together to be able to learn from what we were doing. So I started small. Um, I started taking in 20 people a month. They would come and just be in the work area and I would have some monitors out. And we began um, what I think has been recognized as the first live case education in the United States. And uh, I think the TCT meeting gave me a big award for that and all that sort of stuff. So that started probably in 1978. Now doing that once a month and giving all the lectures and doing all the live cases and even getting a few people to help some of the early pioneers, everybody wanted to help. <clears throat> we'd have, you know, we'd use a boardroom or something. Um, that wasn't gonna, that was gonna be pretty hard. So we did that for a couple of years and then expanded into the auditorium and started big meetings. And so when I moved to Miami, um, we expanded, the, that meeting um, became about a hundred person attendee kind of meeting at Alexandria. And uh, I wanted to really, do, you know, part of the big vision of MCBI was to be a source of education for the community, for the IR community, and to advance, advance this whole field. That was a big problem. Is how do you, don't forget, surgery was opposing it. It wasn't like everybody was embracing this. So we were trying to advance this uh, and, and grow a specialty. So the International Symposium on Endovascular Therapy was begun, as, as that entity, was begun when I moved to Miami in the very first year. Uh, and we had an international faculty and attracted people. And the, um, I always believed it should be multidisciplinary, that we're not going to get involved in turf battles. We're going to work collaboratively among the different disciplines that are interested in providing the best patient care. And it gradually grew over the years. And as my IR group grew, um, our scope and our capacity grew. We grew. We we started broadening the term endovascular began to really uh, take hold in what it could mean, and to us it meant everything, working from the inside and the circulation, and uh, and it grew into what it is today now in the thirty fifth year. In terms of the impact, we were super thrilled this year, because I think uh, first of all, people were coming out of the attend uh, of the uh, pandemic. We had nearly a thousand people, multiple disciplines. We still invest a lot in training fellows and residents as, as where the future is and engage them any way we can. But importantly, we've always had a multidisciplinary faculty and strived to have a balanced multidisciplinary um, attendance and registry. So, so radiologists who may not work in an environment or cardiologists who may not work in an environment where their IRs work you know, or, or involved, <clears throat> could co-mingle and learn together. And I think uh, this year really represented a milestone for us because our program committee now has expanded to include obviously the core of IR, uh, principally based at MCVI, but also interventional cardiologists and vascular surgeons and vascular medicine physicians. And um, this year the meeting was endorsed uh, by multiple other societies but they also, uh, the Society of Vascular Surgery added two representatives of the SVS to the program committee. So it was an incredible milestone. And we got, a, we got huge feedback and uh, it was great meeting you there, of course, and seeing all the young folks uh, uh, contributing and uh, getting excited about what the future is. 
Yeah, attending ISET was uh, truly incredible as a trainee this year, uh, the multidisciplinary and the you know clinical mindset of the whole thing. And I know, Sebastian and I, we especially love the live cases that you had going on this year. Yeah, we had a, one of the things about ISET that distinguishes it is the diversity of live case content. Um, you know, it's, it's not just occlusive disease, it's aneurysm disease, it's uh, dysfunctional disease such as pelvic congestion syndrome or um, that, that type of things that we showed. Uh, and we believe, um, we, we believe that this has incredible teaching value. So to hear your comments uh, are really important. And we spent a lot of time talking about clinical decision-making during those cases. It's not just this is how you cross an occlusion or something. Because we, because of, that's the way we live, that's the way we work, and, and, and that's the way we should approach all of our patients. So the last question is, what advice do you have for trainees who want to differentiate themselves as clinically-minded IRs? Basically, practice what you preach uh, or what you believe. You have to act the same when no one's watching as when someone's watching. So if you get a request for something, it starts with that request and acting like a clinician, asking, you know, not just about the procedure, but why is this being done, establishing rapport with the patients. Um, one of the things we like doing is putting the fellow in a position um, and or residence now where they get to establish the doctor-patient relationship. That's the payoff in all this, is establishing the doctor-patient relationship. And because we do it so well, I think, as interventional radiologists, possibly because we don't have the caseload that maybe other specialties have and they're running around all the time. It's not uncommon to see patients most attached to their IR in, in, in a team of doctors that, 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 that's taking care of them. So I would say just do it, basically, like, like the Nike slogan, and you'll see it. You'll learn more by doing it, and people will see. Nurses will see. Um, they'll see a doctor who's caring for a patient. Um, the best thing is when people don't know what my specialty is, you know, they just think I'm one of the doctors. Uh, and in fact, in clinical office practice, it's not uncommon because I generally wear a shirt and tie in the office where I'll go through a whole thing. Somebody's been referred to me for something and they'll say, well, who's going to be doing the procedure doctor, <laughs> you know? And to me, that's like the biggest compliment you can get, you know? <laughs> Thank you once again for joining us. Dr. Barry Katzen, founder of MCVI, Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute. We truly appreciate your time. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. See you next time on The Sound of IR.